Where to Hunt podcast. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey there, hi there, oh there, howdy. Howdy. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast. The podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is September 1st. It is. This is the okayest podcast in the Midwest. Coming at you from the okayest hunter podcast studio. If you don't know who the okayest hunter is, it's all of us. We're all okayest hunters. I'm okay with it. Uh, go to okayesthunter.com, enter in code W2H podcast, save yourself 10%, and know that when you buy something, it goes to 2% for conservation. Back into our public lands, and uh, we volunteer some time over there too to our public lands. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat stuff. It's pretty okay. Good stuff. Yeah. What's up, Greg? How you doing? All right. How about you? Backward hat day today, I guess. I guess it is. I copied you. You got a haircut, though, I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I trimmed up my beard a little bit. Yeah, boy. My wife was like, don't do it. And then she didn't even notice. I was like, pfft. Even oh, notice. I noticed right away. What happened to your face? You got a good beard, though. You're just like, that wasn't nice. I don't know how you get on your neck without it itching like crazy. I, I can't do see, it. See, there's a certain point you got to get past that itchy threshold and you just let it go. It was like a turtleneck. Just, just let it go, man. Oh, God. In the hot summer, it's just like, oh, rural. Yeah, it keeps mosquitoes off. Bullshit. It attracts does? them. does? No. It does not attract <laughs> You're them. You're just trying to mess with me. I'm messing with you. <laughs> it's like the mosquito magnet. Dog is barking about something. All right, Ryan Nelson. Uh, today we're doing Oktoberfest. I don't know. Where, we got to get some more scotch in here. I'm out. I mean, we got the bourbon. Um, I just figured. I'm trying to save it. Is this, this is the celebratory the swallow of drop tine spirits. Yeah. This is it right here yeah. for the year. First buck gets it. I got to buy a new bottle. I can make it that far. <laughs> um, let's play some ads here. <laughs> Wake up and smell the coffee. Backwoods grind coffee, that is. Now, this ain't your fancy schmancy city boy coffee. This is what your grandpappy used to drink. Lucky enough for you loaf around slack asses, they got a subscription service. Deliver any other six blends right to your door, even a sampler. I like the fireside blend, nice and dark, but they got something to suit every one of your tastes, light to dark and everything in between. Backwoods Grind Coffee, for those who work hard and play harder. Take a look at your feet. Are you wearing Gum Leaf USA boots? If you said no, you gotta reevaluate some things. Each pair is handmade and tested to take over a million flexes. These boots will take just about anything you can throw at them. Use promo code W2H2020 for 10% off your final purchase at GumLeafUSA.com. 
take a drink of that bottle. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, we do have a guest on the line with us. Let me get him unmuted here. We got... Uh, um. Oh, yeah, we got to do some more stuff. Bill, hang out with us for a second longer. So, we got one more ad to do, and I forgot Shemmy. the discount code Christmas. for Backwoods Grind. I told you, it doesn't feel like Tuesday. Well, spit it out here. Hurry up. Backwoodsgrind.com. Entering code W2H Podcast for 10% off your order. You can do a subscription. You can do a sample bag. You can do a big bag, whatever you want. It's good stuff. I like. I know the ad says they like Fireside because it's cool to say, but I actually like the Camp House. Camp House is delicious. <laughs> And Vector gets a double dose because we do the shot of the week. Well, I'll make it short but All sweet. Right. VectorCustomShop.com. If you're looking for a set of custom-built arrows to your spec, look no further. Go to VectorCustomShop.com. You can order a, a sample pack, basically two arrows built to your liking. Uh, test them out, whatever flies best for you. You can go with a half dozen or a dozen. And when you check out, uh, enter code where to hunt, and it'll save you 10% off. There it is. Boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. Cool. Who's our guest? Hey, Bill. Uh, we got Bill Thompson on the line with us with Spartan Forge. And you've been making your rounds on the podcast. We're happy that you took a stop here at the OKest, uh, OKest Hunter podcast, Bill. Well, I'm glad you guys have me on. I like it so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we set the bar pretty low, good, so good, you can, you can good, like... Good and informal. That's how I like it. I don't yeah. feel numb at all. You can swear, you can drink, you can, you know, totally mess up. And don't worry, we're not going to edit out the, the goof-ups either. So you're stuck with whatever you put out here. Okay, before we get into our guest interview, it's time. It's been a long time, but it's time for... W2H Rut Club Radio. <laughs> Rock Club Radio is brought to you by Heated Hunts. If you haven't heard of Heated Hunts, check out HeatedHunts.com. These guys make a scent dispenser that heats up, whether it's real urine or deer scents or whatever. They also have synthetic blends. So if you're looking for doe and estrus or dominant buck or something like that, um, it will prevent it from freezing when it gets really cold. But moreover, what it's really designed to do is make that scent more natural. And by heating it up, it does that. And it travels further so you're increasing your odds of something coming by and, and checking that out and it really does draw in um, a lot more activity than you might expect without it so it's a really cool product they have a bunch of different things you can check out for scents that are synthetic and they just launched a new product this year um, the the drag strap so like it's a, a wick that you drag behind you and you can douse and scent and um, now you're having another chance for something to pick up that scent and follow along there so heated hunts go check them out enter in code uh, W2H podcast to save so many in their products. And if you call in for our Rock Club Radio, which airs every Tuesday for all of hunting, so September through December, 5.45 p.m. Central Standard Time to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, when you call in, we're going to enter in, uh, you're, you're going to get entered in to win some of their products and we'll call out four winners at the end of each month. So the end of September, the end of October, the end of November, and at the end of December. So if you want a chance to win, just call in and share a rut report or a rut story. Obviously, it's uh, not rut yet at all. But as we get into pre-rut, rut, and post-rut, we want to hear your reports. So that's when you can call in. The number to call in during that time is 262-757-4122. Let's hear our calls from this week. Hey there, you're live on Rut Club Radio. What's going on? 
What's up, Eric? It's Trev. Oh, what up, homie? Dude, it uh, didn't screen you, but whatever. Here you are. So it worked good enough. <laughs> it's probably better. They probably You probably should have screened me. You probably wouldn't have let me on. <laughs> I would have hesitated. No, I'm just kidding, man. So, dude, thanks for not letting me hang here like a total jackass. Uh, how was your rut last year? Uh, last year was actually kind of fun, man. I I, uh, I got to hang out in uh, upstate New York, actually. I, I hunted inside of a fence um, and got to see some really cool things in the middle of the rut. And then I came home and I shot uh, my biggest buck to date, uh, chasing a doe in the middle of the rut. No crap. Wow. Dude. So, yeah. like, what... Like, were you, did you feel like you're in the thick of it? Like when it's crazy, crazy. I mean, we're nowhere near that right now. We are, uh, quite away from it, but we all know it's going to come quick. Yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy. Like being in it, like, so I got to hunt inside of a fence because I wanted to hunt, um, which high fence, right. Just cause like, how are you going to make a statement about it if you never do it? Right. So I got to hunt with a company called Bow and Bridle up in New York. They manage um, big whitetails. And uh, we actually grunted in some deer that were over 200 inches, 250 inches. One of them was. I had them at seven yards um, trying to fight other deer and seeing big scrapes and rubs. And it it was something else. Dude, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And what are you doing right now to prep for everything? I came home. Oh, shit. Go ahead. Yeah, talk about the dough. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So then I came home and was able to, um, it was right around November 14th, and the rut was kind of still on. Um, Had seen a little bit of buck chasing activity and sat down in a stand, and a couple minutes before light, here comes this doe just, like, hightailing it through the woods. And sure than shit, man, there was a big buck right behind him, uh, right behind her, full full sprint right past me couldn't get a shot on it and uh waited for it to come back because the doe ended up coming back and i was like oh i hope that the buck's behind it and there he was and was able to get a shot on him and he was like nose down tongue out the whole nine yards like everything (laughs) you would like read about in a book that's so cool to see that stuff firsthand man it's like it's just cool you don't get to see that very often i mean quite literally you get to see it maybe once a year you know what i mean if you're gonna see it once a year Right, exactly. Yeah, That's you cool. wait You wait all season just to have have the rod activity around you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's always like they leave like little tidbits of it, like here's a scrape, here's a rub, but to see them chasing and dogging and fighting, and like, that's what we all do it for. Hell yeah, man. That's freaking great. And how are you prepping for this season? Um, we got a bunch of cell cameras running right now, man. Everything looks real good. I got a couple of really big target bucks on, on, on camera that I'm absolutely pumped about. And I wasn't expecting cause I had put them out for, you know, that rut time, all uh, that no- November movement. And I'm actually starting to get them now and happened to be one of the areas was a real thick bedding area that we wanted to get some cameras in. We put them in there in July and we, we got the, the pictures that we wanted, the big deer that we needed. So really excited you're in connecticut right for those that don't know yeah i'm in connecticut yeah you run uh, yeah. a little get, podcast called to... called the outdoor drive yes sir that's me just so everybody knows we... yeah i <laughs> appreciate it eric oh yeah i'm dude. actually uh getting the chance to uh i'm gonna spend the last 
uh, week in October, first week in November in uh, in Ohio this year, which is something new for me to be able to hunt out of state on public land after some like giant. How far is Ohio from you? What is that uh, in terms of like windshield uh, time? It's about about eight about eight hours for me. It's not terrible. Eight to ten hours okay. drive time. No, no, not bad at all. Rock on, dude. Well, Ohio public sounds pretty incredible. We know a couple of folks over there, so it's uh, you're probably gonna have a ton of fun. Yeah, I mean, even I, I don't really care. I mean, just the experience and you know the camaraderie of all the guys in deer camp, and you know if we get to see some good deer, you know that that would be a plus. And then you know to kill one would be even even a bigger bonus. So we're hoping and fingers crossed. I've been sent some pretty good trail cameras. Just itching, man. Just itching. I, you know, practicing with the saddle and stuff. And just, I just, I just want to have the bow in hand. I really do. I'm, I'm totally looking forward to it. Well, you got the right mentality, dude. It's a bonus if you see something. If you get something, it's even better. I mean, you're just going to have fun, and you're going to have some, literally, some drive time for the outdoor drive, guys. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Road trip. Now that we've, uh, we've gone video and stuff on the. On the on the on the we're doing a video cast now. I'm pretty excited about that. Hell yeah, That's dude! Cool. So you're doing this? What I'm doing? You're running the live the live cam stuff or what? Not live. Um, we're just we're doing something where um, it's just gonna be like on YouTube, so you can just watch us all chit chit chatting uh, on uh, on YouTube, and we can kind of show you know kind of what you're doing, but it's just not live feed. Like you are. Yeah, I'm a total freaking crazy person, so not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I was flipping out yeah. getting this stuff ready, but uh, you know what? Preston shared his number in the in the chat, so I'm going to give him a call and see what he's got to say, too. I think he's down oh, yeah. in Georgia or Florida or some, somewhere down there. So, uh, dude, thanks for calling in, man. You're going to be on the show tonight. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely, bro. I'll, uh, I'll tune in soon. All right. Adios. Hey, Preston, you're live on Rec Club Radio. What's going on, bud? What's going on? And do me a favor. What do you need? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not interested in winning anything because I, you know I had that Winsent sponsor. That's right. That's right. And you've used. Have you used heat hunts before? No, I've used, I use Winsent. Got it. So. Okay. Cool. They're my sponsor. So. Two but two anyways. different. Yeah. Yeah, dude. By the way, like, tell me how uh, we got. I got ten minutes here before I got to cut it. So, uh, give me the lowdown on your rut activity from last year. Well, last year we went to our deer camp for the rut, come back home, nerd chasing hard, can't hunt at home, which is a bummer, but they were rutting probably for at least 30 days, and they were chasing hard, but we never connected on anything after what I shot opening weekend. No bucks, then connect on another one, but... Now we just have our first hard horned buck at our deer camp. So, and where are you located uh, again? You're down south, Georgia. Georgia. That's what I thought. Okay, I couldn't remember specifically, but so you're down in Georgia. You got hard horn down there. Yes, the first hard horn buck is a big old seven, big seven pointer, probably 130. Nice. And uh, do you are you, when is your guys' season open in Georgia? Uh, twelve. So it's like 10 days. 
Dude, that's no, when ours opens. That's it. Yeah, that's it for us here in Wisconsin, too. So it's just going to be way hotter down there by you, I'm sure, than it is here by us. <laughs> it is. Holy and cow. We, and we sometimes the deer don't shed velvet until, gosh, right? The day of deer season sometimes. Like, you'll like, you see them. One day they have velvet, and the next they don't have it at all. And it'll be deer season the, the next day. And they're like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool to get velvet. I know. Crazy, uh, was it but... Kentucky that opens up like super early? They've been open for like a week or something already. I have no clue. No Tennessee have ever three Tennessee. days velvet. I think that might have been at Tennessee. I'm getting them confused, but I'm geographically challenged. So, and uh, so you're going to be out on the opening weekend or what? Yeah, I'm going to be hunting around the house. Have a huge nine pointer and a, just a huge six. I mean, I think the six he has to be over 100 inches. Nice. Wow. I'm guessing right around 125, but not exactly. Well, if you got pics of them, toss I mean, them in the comments. Maybe 125. If you got if you got pics, throw them in the comments section for this thread. It'd be fun for people to see. The what? If you have uh, any photos oh, yeah. of them, yeah. Uh, let me try to do that. I'll try to. Cool, dude. Well, I hope you have a ton of luck this season. Um, you know, stay tuned, man. We'll, we'll be doing this every week on Tuesday, uh, 5.45 our time here, Central Standard. And uh, as we get into the season, we'll get more of this type of call activity and report on what's really going on. So be sure to share it, too, so we get some more folks in your area so you can get a better idea of what's going on down there also. Yeah, but I find our rut to be exactly almost the same time every around Gwinnett, at least, in our area. So Cool. The accessible uh, Hunter just commented. Out. They said their archery buck starts October 3rd in Pennsylvania. So, so far we've talked to someone in Connecticut. You're in Georgia. we got Pennsylvania. Um, I think Whitetail Experience. I think they're out of Ohio. They just, uh, I don't know when Ohio season opens, uh, guys, if you want to yeah, pop in and comment. Like week, because we went up there, I think, the first week of October one year. Okay. So, I think it's like the first or second week when we went. It might be the same. But there, I find our right to be like that from anywhere from Halloween to the second week in November is when our right typically is. Yeah, that sounds so. similar here. We're usually like Halloween weekend, like the first week of November. I mean, yep. you're pretty safe taking your PTO around that time if you got to take off work or whatever. But um, school or whatever, yeah. Yeah, whatever people got going on. So maybe get rewarded. <laughs> maybe get that. Monday and Friday off, hopefully. Cool. Well, dude, thanks for calling in, man. We'll um, open right, up for anybody else. Good talking with you. Uh, you too. See you. See you, Preston. All right, let's get into our interview. Well, I am drinking, and uh, I haven't swore yet, but we'll see how that goes. All right, well, that means we haven't, we're not having fun yet then. We'll get you going. So tell, <laughs> tell the audience a little, a little bit about you, uh, some of your background, and then we'll start to get into what you're working on. Uh, so right now I'm an active duty military warrant officer. I've been in the military for about 20 years, joined when I was 17 and, uh, I've been doing basically intelligence work for the military for the better part of my life. Like I said, I was 17 when I joined I'm 37. Now I've been doing it for about 20 years. And, uh, right now I'm, um, getting ready to transition out of the military. I retire in April and for the past 10 years or so, I've been working on this company 
Spartan Forge that we're talking about today. We're, we're an artificial intelligence company. And uh, when I retire in April, I'm hoping this will be what I'm doing full time. How's that looking so far? What is the, is the horizon kind of, uh, it'll be a pretty smooth transition or if you're retiring, that's kind of nice from yeah. an income standpoint, but yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's looking good so far. Um, we got the app coming out later this month. Um, we have some exciting news I can't share quite yet on the horizon for some stuff that we're doing. And, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. I think it's exciting. I know you and I've had a few different conversations offline. Um, I've gotten to hear your story. I am obsessed with what you're working on. I think it's fantastic. So, you know, there's a lot of places I think this conversation can go and we're going to let it just kind of go where it wants to go. I might guide it here and there because there's some certain points I want to tease out of you for our, our audience, but um, maybe tell folks like what, what is, when you say AI, what do you, what is it you're doing? What is it that they can expect of this thing once it uh, gets into the app store? So when I say AI, artificial intelligence, sometimes it can throw people off or people can automatically look away whenever you start talking about these things, but really it's, it's a moniker. It's a name. And what it means is high level pattern analysis. Um, that's the best way to describe it. It's basically taking tons and tons of different types of data and, and making sense of them and cleaning them and then presenting them or make extracting analysis from them to make sense, you know, for whatever your goal is. So just, tons of different types of data and we're talking terabytes and terabytes of data, more data than any human could look at. We're put, we're, we're extracting all of the meaningful lessons from that data. And then we're applying it to a future situation that hasn't taken place. That's really the best way to, to frame what artificial intelligence is. And are you able to like, you know, I, I don't want to like step out of bounds here with what you, I don't want you to give away the secrets or anything, but um, you know, are you in a place where you can say where you got some of the data from and kind of how you arrived at? Sure. Okay, cool. Cause I think that's what makes it really fascinating. I think that's what you have that. I don't know that anybody else has it at all. Right. And it would not be easy for anyone else to get that stuff. So you kind of got it cornered right now, I think. Yeah. For the time being, I think so. It, it's been about four going on five years of really data gathering, you know, any, any effective machine learning situation or art or artificial intelligence product takes droves and droves and droves of data. And that's really kind of the value of a machine learning or artificial intelligence company is the data that they sit on. So when we first started training, our, our data was mostly publicly available state studies, bio, biology studies on white tailed deer, car collision data, from insurance companies that were willing to share what they had, uh, which, you know, USA, State Farm, or a couple of bigger, bigger ones that really work with us a lot. And then um, collared deer data, I guess, is the biggest one, which was the most difficult one to get. And uh, collared deer data is basically, you know, a biologist at a university or at a state agency is doing a study. They have questions about the deer population, and there are so many crazy studies out there where they're studying, you know, you wouldn't even think to study some of the things that they study with deer. They study them, they collar these deer for, you know, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's a year. We have studies where there's as much as, you know, as seven years of data. Um, 
thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, millions of data points on the caller GPS side. And I basically got that by Googling studies online and Google Scholar and other places and contacting the the DNR repository, the person who's holding onto the data or the people who did the study, having conversations with them, uh, kind of saying, hey, here's how we, what we're doing now. Here's how we can help you guys if you help us by giving us the data. And that's really been the relationship with the majority of these places. And uh, I, I did a count the other day. It's probably out of date now because I've probably sent a few hundred emails since then. But I was on the order of about 2,000 emails that I had sent to people who had done wildlife GPS studies. Now, mind you, on some of these studies, there'd be seven authors, and I would email every one of them and say, hey, here's what I'm doing, and here's how we can help each other out. And a lot of the people understood the value that they can get from artificial intelligence and machine learning and give the data up, and we were able to compare that data up to other places and then tell them, you know, the differences between their deer and other deer and uh, extrapolate some meaningful data that they might not have otherwise seen. And that's helped them be efficient with their money because all of these studies cost money. So those are some of the, the ways that we were getting this data. And I, we, I did that for uh, eight years, I would suppose, before we were able, ever able to make a machine learning, or I'm sorry, to conduct any machine learning to enable our artificial intelligence. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming and it certainly has not been easy. So were they pretty willing to help you out with this then? Yeah, so there, there's two. So with the first sets of data, those were all publicly available and publicly online. So the, the QDMA studies, the state wildlife agency studies, those are published and available online and I was able to get that data. And um, with the car collision data, like I said, I, I got data from USAA and I got data from State Farm. And a lot of it was data that they already send out their, to their consumers anyway. It's just I was able to get it in all one email. But the biologists, I'd say, oh, I don't know. I guess if I had to pick a number, I'd say about 10 or 15% of them were willing to share the data. A lot of them thought, you know, it's really cool what you're doing, but, you know, we're doing our own movement-related studies right now, and uh, we can't, you know, share that data. I don't know if they thought we were sharing studies or whatever, but, yeah, about 10 to 15% of them were willing to do it. Um, you know, out of the thousands of emails that I sent, which actually, and the ones who were able to do it were sitting on lots of data um, from lots of places. So, you know, we were able to get a very large catalog of, of data. Wow. Answer your question there, Greg? Sure. <laughs> it is I, fascinating. I, mean, I don't cope up with many, but when I do. Yeah, no, uh, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff, like you said, it's public information, right? We're paying our taxpayers and these are public entities like the Wisconsin DNR. Um, you know, yep. So what is available is available, but like, you know, how you go about getting it or, you know, gaining some of that permission or access, you know, obviously having a conversation with some of those folks is smart, right? And if you can help them too, then they're more willing or maybe they have it in package a different way or whatever makes life a little easier for everybody. It's cool, man. Yeah. I should also mention that there are, places out there that host this data for free and make it publicly available for people. We were able to get a, some of that data. It's kind of funny. The majority of that data was Canadian and then some of it was Southern data. Um, I've mentioned it before, but I think Canadians have a mandate to publish a lot of this information. So that really helped us with Northern deer um, because there aren't as many Northern studies as you'd like to see. There are Northeast deer studies, you know, happening quite a bit. 
the South is by far the most that are out there. Um, and we say South and from like Texas actually, or like Florida or what do you, where is that coming from? Texas, yeah, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. All the guys that I ran into down there were really, you know, eager to learn from their data because, like I said, it, it, they pay for these studies to take place and they're often pretty spendy and they take a long time. So it's prudent for them to try to get as much data as they can from the study. And a lot of times this data has just been sitting around for three or four years. Um, we got a fair amount of data from the Northeast, but for some reason just up there, I don't know if it's like the, you know, I don't know. You know, they say live on the East Coast before you get too hard and live on the West Coast before you get too soft. A lot of those guys up there were hard nuts to crack. The data that we did get was good enough to train our model, and we got enough up there, but we're always looking for more. So it's kind of like one of those cultural things. The South, we got everybody's just willing to share the data and happy to do it and happy to learn from it. And it wasn't quite the case up in the Northeast, but we did get enough and make enough relationships up there to get the model to predict quite well. So you have collision data, collar deer data, um, weather data. My, those are some of the key ones, right, that you're kind of weighing in. And then you said, is it terrain also? Yeah, so terrain data we get from a number of sources. Um, and we've kind of compiled that together into our own unique data set. We're using that for analysis right now. And then we, uh, we also get the state agency data. From every, I think one of the things I've neglected to say on some of the other podcasts, or maybe I have said it, but not, you know, said it enough, is we've got every peak conception data data point for every county in the U.S. and then every secondary peak conception point, you know, roughly 28 days later. So you can just kind of add that to the calendar if you have the first one. And but for the layperson, what's, what's a peak conception point? I'm the layperson. I'm sorry. What'd you say? What's a what's a peak conception point? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so during phases of the rut, you know, there's actually the when the does are what, are what they're called standing or standing does, and that basically means they're receptive to a buck for mating. You're in estrus, a lot of guys Eric. call that. Yeah, they're in estrus. Well, they they come into estrus earlier than that, but then they're actually willing to stand for a buck and mate. That's the conception. And then like what biologists do is when does are killed, they will measure the uh, the fawns in utero and then come up with a date of when the conception must have happened. And they do this for most places in the U.S. So when you understand that, you understand uh, when the majority of does are in estrus, and then scientifically you can backdate that and then find out in your specific county when you should start seeing seeking and chasing behavior, which is you know what everyone refers to as the rut, um, when actually it's the seeking and chasing phase of the rut. But you know that's what most people are interested in. So we've got that for, you know, every county in the U.S., with the exception of maybe 10 or 15. Wow. I mean, you said you've been at it for five years, you know, kind of building out this data and just kind of, you know, working in silence, so to speak, and you're finally letting the cat out of the bag. Um, I mean, like I said, there's a couple of places I want to take this conversation, but I don't want to, I want to make sure you get to say everything that you want to say too. Um, so what are, I guess... From a product standpoint, for like the users, the hunters that are going to use this, what is the offering for them? Like, how are they going to be able to uh, engage with this product? And just to clarify, my understanding is that this isn't going to help you find like a mature buck, so to speak, and tell you like hunt Tuesday at five o'clock and you're going to see this twelve pointer. It's more like, look, here's your here's where the odds are most in your favor to see a deer on hoof 
um, right? And here's how it might, you know, negotiate this terrain or what have you. So with that, I'll let you kind of answer the first question and I'll stop talking. Yeah, so I guess the offering is, we have two phases to the offering. The first phase is we're answering the question of when, which is when will deer be moving? And what our, what our machine intelligence our artificial intelligence has done is it's it's understood the general patterns of the general deer. So that that is to say, as you said, not the specific deer, but the general deer. So we have a very good idea, not idea. We we know what are the conditions that the general deer moves under regionally, because they do differ from the north to the south to the northeast. There are different things, different temperatures, different wind conditions, different rain conditions. That, you'll, that will allow you to see a, a deer on the hoof. And basically, the, the decision for the deer is, <clears throat> are, are, are the weather or environmental factors present to make me risk my neck to get on the hoof during daylight? In other words, is there a weather event happening? Is, is there pressure building from does coming into estrus and you know, mating, uh, fighting for mating rights? Uh, is you know, the winter setting in and you're gonna have to get as much fat on your body? There's a variety of things that will get a deer on the hoof during daylight hours. And what our, our artificial intelligence has done is with very high accuracy, we're, right now we're north of 65%, um, is able to tell the hunter when the general deer will start moving. When I say 65%, what I mean by that is as we ingest new GPS data, which we're doing continuously, um, we're about to get some more tomorrow or the next day, we're able to test our model so we have you know, 35 or 40 deer get collared and they are out for three years. And we understand when there's peaks and, you know, ebbs and flows and movement, we document all of those things on the GPS. And then we give those, that, same, that same set of days to our artificial intelligence. And we say, you know, hey, AI, on what days do you think the deer are going to be moving most? And then we compare that and see where we are right and where we are wrong before we use that data to train our model. And right now we're consistently north of 65% oh, wow. uh, on prediction, predicting when deer are going to be moving in the woods. And uh, w- then the second offering, which will be later in this year, probably for the general public into next year is to basically going to be where. So extrapolating or, or taking the data from those same data points and saying, okay, now I understand when the deer are going to be moving. Here's the property that I'm going to be hunting generally where will they be moving here and then where should I be looking for specific types of activity that I can put on the map and then help update my general intelligence and make it more specific to your property. Um, but yeah, what we're releasing right now is the wind part, uh, which is, you know, later this month. That's incredible. I mean, it's either going to affirm some things that you believe or it's going to tell you some other things that you, Oh, I didn't consider this, or is that really what the data is telling me? Like, Hmm. And as, you know, an experienced hunter, you can do something with that. As someone that's more like me, an okayus hunter, well, you can really uh, promote yourself up to okayer hunter, I suppose. Um, it's it's super fascinating. You know, what I think, right, right, what I wanted to get out of this a little bit more is like, you know, in your seat, having been looking at this data for so many years and having so much of it, you know, you've mentioned some things to me offline about like, you've had some pre- preconceived notions and beliefs that were really strong in favor of X, Y, Z. And then you've been looking at this data and you're like, well, wait a second. I never would have considered this or I wouldn't have thought I would believe that. You know, how many of those things do you have in your back pocket now 
And uh, if we're talking about like the subject of this podcast today is like, you know, hunting deer from a data driven approach. I mean, it's not a thing that you can do currently without your product. So um, what are some of the you know early learnings that you've had that have kind of turned you on your head a little bit? Okay, before we get into like the really good stuff here, um, for everybody that's like on the edge of their seat now, let's take a moment for the shot of the week. All right, the shot of the week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. If you're not familiar with Vector Custom Shop, look, we'd recommend that you go take a look at their website, vectorcustomshop.com. And uh, look, these arrows are built to your specifications. So in case you didn't know, these are arrow manufacturers. They build arrows to your specs. And specifically what that means is their um, spine is going to be weighted to your draw length, your draw weight, and the game you're hunting. And they're also going to outfit it with an ethics insert-outsert system to make sure the front of center, or FOC, is dialed in based on some of those other factors. So when you shoot, you're shooting straight, you're shooting true, um, you're not getting that uh, boomerang or nunchuck effect if you're going to do some paper tuning and things of that nature. So uh, as a awesome kind of caveat or final note caveat probably the way wrong word to use there look these things are shipped to your door so you don't have to go to the archery shop to get this all set up they'll do it for you that's one of the biggest benefits as a modern day hunter uh, someone that might not have a lot of time raising a family working a bunch etc etc you can order a test pack so you can try these things out see what's going to work for your setup specifically before you order a whole bunch half a dozen or a dozen and then once you get it fine-tuned to your setup um, then you can pull the trigger on the rest of the set. So if you want to save some money on their arrows, you can use the code where the number two in the word hunt, and you're going to save 10% off. All right. So this is last week. I'm archery hunting in Northern Utah. I have, a, I'm in a limited bull in unit. So I only have a tag that's good for a cow, but you know, fills the freezer, a cow or a spike. So while I'm hunting, we've been in there for the evening in a good spot. And, uh, I'm about ready to leave, about had it, getting pretty discouraged. And I turn over and there's a cow and a calf coming in. And so, uh, she was about 50 yards and the wind was blowing right at her. So I was, I was freaking out. I was like, she's going to blitz in any second. I don't have time to get my rangefinder. I got to guess. So I do. And, uh, I guessed wrong. Sailed it right over her back. She was closer than I thought unfortunately and so i walked out so that's my uh shot story of the week all right now let's get into the good stuff yeah so there's a couple that i'm talking about and then there's a few more that i really don't talk about that much because it kind of gives away the secret sauce or i shouldn't say gives it away but it would allow other models to become a lot more accurate in places in, in ways that they're not very accurate right now so but the one the things that i will talk about that i think are interesting is uh you know, when I came to the table doing this type of analysis, I was always under the idea that moon phase, I was a moon phase believer, I guess is the best way to put it. I thought the moon had a heavy impact on white-tailed deer movement uh, because the way that I was, you know, first brought up when I was hunting as a younger man in the books that I was reading. And then some of the people who I, you know, followed their career trajectories and watched them grow as hunters, they were all, you know, moon guys as well. And with the exception of I guess with the way that the full moon affects illumination, it can affect deer moving in the morning and that, you know, you won't see as much movement 
in the late morning, and then you'll probably see next to no movement that afternoon. That's kind of been out there. People have been talking about that. That's kind of one of the things that the that the that the data has has um, bared out. And I guess the interesting point of contact there is, and the reason why I think it's an illumination detail is because well, there's an exceptional amount of cloud cover on the night of the full moon. We don't see those trends take place. In other words, I don't think it's one of those things where the moon affects the tides and people think, oh, the crazy people are out on you know the full moon night bank robberies. I think I've read these stats about like bank robberies go up during the full moon because of the you know gravitational pull, which, where we do see it affecting things like the ocean's waves. Uh, I haven't been able to get it to affect any or to see anything in the data that would say, you know, as I said before, our model is an artificial intelligence model, so it's mimicking the way that a deer thinks. So our our approach is very data driven, in, in that no presuppositions come to the table. In that, if the data isn't doing it, if the deer aren't doing it then our model won't predict for it. There's and no one of those things that it's not doing, it, right? It's like, it's like starting fresh completely and then learning from only the data that you have, which is beautiful, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what they're, and what it's not doing is we're not seeing a correlation with uh, necessarily moon phase, but more or less with the illumination that a full moon will provide during the night allows them to feed more aggressively. And, uh, and, 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 and that's kind of been the effect that we see so far. Now, that is to say, with these rules of thumb, it could be I ingest 2,000 more deer in the next year, and then we start seeing that. So the second part there is, is that we're not static. We're always learning more things. But right now, we've got a very good model that predicts very well. And currently, the, the thing that we are getting out of moon phase is illumination. That's cool. I, I guess I didn't... It makes sense as you explained it, but I wouldn't have considered it. Like, I know... Did I? Oh, yeah, yeah. I went uh, salmon fishing on Lake Michigan, and it was a full moon. And then so we got there in the morning, and, and like, the charter captain's like, oh, hell, it's going to be a shit day out there. It's been a, a damn full moon. And we're like, wait, what? why is that bad? He's like, because the fish could see. They were feeding all night. They're not going to be hungry for what we're yep. throwing. I'm like, oh, well, geez, I didn't even consider that. We actually did pretty good still, but it took a while. And they weren't on in the morning at all. No, um, they were on probably later on yep. towards the end of your charter trip middle of the day and that's kind of how it works with with deer too is they'll get up and move middle of the day a little bit more and then they'll chillax for a little bit yeah it makes sense if they have light and they can see better or their you know, things are illuminated right maybe they can see predation from further away or whatever mm -hmm. so they're going to take advantage of that like a human would right <laughs> i can see i'm going to travel more tonight right uh it makes sense but that's cool. That's interesting that yeah, like, yeah, full moon all by itself yeah, so far is what you're telling us. Like the data hasn't proven this out just yet necessarily, but what you have, it sounds like it really is illumination based. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I don't mean, if you I, don't I want guess, to share other I, nuggets. I have a couple more I can talk about. Okay, good. If, if you want me to talk about them. I would love that. You Please just do. let me know. As, as our season's 12 days away, the more you can feed us here, the, the more value it's going to be. And then it'll put a lot of value into, you know, when you start to launch stuff. Yeah, I guess one of the good things for southern hunters is that rain has an advert or has the opposite effect on deer that I thought it would have. When we came to this data, my, you know, hunting, growing up hunting in the north and then as an adult hunting in on the east coast, I always thought, you know, if it's raining, it's, it's no good for deer hunting. 
um, and as we ingest data in the South and we're looking at deer from Texas to South Carolina to Georgia to Florida, we actually find that during periods of light rain and periods of, of medium to, to medium heavy, but not heavy, but medium to medium heavy rain, um, we are seeing heightened periods of movement more so than they are moving generally. And that was kind of another presupposition for me that kind of blew us away when we started looking at this stuff is that deer seem to be moving more. And I have some theories on this, but I'm not a white-tailed deer biologist. I've talked to some about it and they have theories as well. But certainly for your Southern listeners, if it's light rain to heavier to medium rain and they're down South, they should not be on the couch if they're serious about putting a buck on the wall. What are your thoughts on that, Greg? As the more expert hunter in the room, no, I'm not this. gonna, I'm not gonna confirm or deny that that's uh, one. I'm not an expert, so, but, I mean, I've seen my share of movement with weather. Um. I, I killed my buck that was predicted to rain, but it didn't, surprisingly. I went anyway. Um, the last buck that I killed with a bow. I've been in the stand with, with a bit of rain and, and harvested deer. You know, it, it definitely got them moving more. And just because of the area I was hunting, it was conducive to harvesting a doe. And I saw plenty of does and, and harvested them. So... I'm not afraid to hunt in the rain, that's for sure, especially if it's light to medium. Mm-hmm. Heavy sucks, but if, if it's just a short period of a, a downpour and you can manage it, I'd say manage it. I know a lot of things people say is like, you know, if you hunt in the rain, you, you if you're bow hunting, right, you might not have a good blood trail because it'll wash it away or something like that. So there's concern there sometimes. But, you know, I hunt the days that I can hunt, and if it's going to rain that day, I'm still hunting. It is what it is, and I might just sit there and suffer all damn day, but, you know, I haven't, I'm probably, you know, unlucky enough on other ends of the spectrum either where I haven't been able to rule out rain as a good or a bad thing for me just yet. But if it's, if that's the day that I have to hunt and it's raining, I don't give a shit. If, right. If, but if that means, like, deer might be more likely to move, that's good to hear. Well, the majority of places yeah. I'm hunting, too, I'm hunting near water or over water. Yeah. It's all swamp and marsh. Right. I think one of the interesting things too, and you just kind of said it there before you said, um, whether or not it's raining or not, you know, if it's my day to hunt, I'm still hunting. And really that's how people should be using our when prediction as well. In that a a user can just pick the days that if our prediction system is saying very high movement or high movement. And so there's two, there's two axes that we predict against. The first one is, you know, low right now it's low to high movement, but pretty soon it's probably becoming, from very low to very high movement. And then the second one is pattern. And that is, are they in pattern? Are they out of pattern? Or can you just throw pattern out the window or kind of like a three measurements? So on those days where our system might be saying very low movement, I would just say on those days, if you're still going to hunt, just don't hunt, you know, your spots that you've scotted out or your best stands, maybe lay off some more and hunt places where deer expect to smell you and it's not going to throw them off. But if you were using our model, I would say the day to get aggressive, or if you scouted some public land where you know there's good bedding, I would say save those types of stands or that stand selection for the very high movement days because you're very you're you're much more likely, statistically speaking, to see that buck getting on the hoof and risking his neck earlier in the day than you otherwise would, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, that does make sense. That's a really good way. I mean, that's kind of similar to like if you're going to, if you have private property, like a lot of people don't want to burn it, right? They want to hold on to it. And I've talked to a number of folks that all hunt public land and then save their private land for the days when they know that it's going to be good or what have you. Um, so that's interesting. It's almost like using your app. If I were using it on public land, I would say, oh, well, maybe this particular plot with this likelihood of when and where, I maybe I will hold off until a better day, right? And maybe I'll hunt a state park yeah, exactly. or something or a county park where I know there's a lot of people traffic and human scent. So then I'm, you know, it's not as big of a deal. Right. That's cool. You said you had like one more? As far as movement's concerned, I mean, those are kind of like the two that I talk about the most. I guess the other one would be that I'm I'm fine with talking about is people often say if there's a storm coming, especially north, I always I kind of categorize it as north of the Mason-Dixon line. If there is movement, or I'm sorry, if they're cataloging or looking at movement before a storm happens, a lot of people say, get out before a storm happens, like that's going to be the best time. I would say most of the time it's best to get out right after a storm leaves. And when we're seeing tons of favorable movement conditions before a storm is generally when there's been like a peppering of storms leading up to it. In other words, understanding favorable feeding days coming up to a storm front moving in and that pressure drop becomes, that becomes a better proposition for that prior to the storm hunt day when there's been a number of these days lined up, you know, 10 days prior, because then there's more there's there's in the north that is not in the south there's more movement happening right before that storm and then depending on the length of the storm you'll see an even greater amount of movement afterwards if that makes sense it does so the the fun thing to consider you had mentioned a little bit ago that like you've kind of bounced some of these things off of wildlife or big game ecologists or biologists etc i think it'd be interesting you know to understand the why behind that so like here's what that is telling us true false whatever uh, let's just assume everything's true because the data is awesome you have, you have millions of data points over you know terabytes of data etc cetera, etc cetera, over countless years um but like why why is that like what that's where i think this is a fun conversation because why are the deer moving after a storm than before and some of the more experienced hunters might know exactly what's going on but there's a lot of us that don't have a clue you know we always try to think about like well why did i see the deer that day why did he come from that direction you know we try to ask ourselves why all the time to understand this stuff um, it feels like after a storm, it's natural to emerge from something like, okay, it's calm. I've been hunkered down. I can poke around now. Right. It, like that seems to be a why, but I wonder what a, you know, a biologist might have to say about it. Yeah. And that's really, if they're, you know, if they're biologists listening and they want to answer those questions about their data, they're free to send it off to us and we'll tell them everything we can about it because that's kind of one of the other things that we're doing is trying to help under people understand the regional differences in how deer move and how they elect to move because that those differences are certainly there and those differences are even there you know cross county well in just data you know especially in the south not so much in the north and the north the, the general deer is pretty similar talking from north dakota down in nebraska across to new york up to you know connecticut there's a lot more similarity there when you start getting south of the mason dixon and you start talking about how deer were stocked in those areas back in the day, or you start talking about how drainage affects movement and peak conception dates and fawning periods. There's a lot more diversity in that data 
And I think that's where a lot of the strength is. But then your system can learn more from that. Measure more data points. Precisely. Yeah, that's cool. And, and, and you kind of said it before, but I, I think it's worth saying again is the data doesn't produce a result or predict for a result unless we have produced a bell curve of movement based on that result. And I guess the, the way to say that is, is not that we're great and that our, our, our system's the best. It's basically that our system's based in data and the data can't lie because literally hundreds of thousands of deer need to be doing things based on weather and topography conditions in order for our system to recognize it and project it on a forecast. So these nuances that you talked about, I think it would be interesting to start getting some of the whys of these answered. And I have found studies where people are trying to answer it. But um, I also don't think that anybody's compiled this much deer GPS movement, um, collision movement, and, uh, and, and white-tailed studies to kind of look at this thing with kind of what I would call a God's eye view. I feel like, man, my business mind is every time I talk to you, <laughs> my gears just start going really fast. I, you know, I feel like insurance companies would be all over this too, right? You know? But I guess yep. if you're getting that data from them, it, whatever, maybe you can predict more of like, oh, well, they're going to cross the highway in this spot. And I guess we kind of already know that information because deer crossing signs, right? I don't know who I don't know who decides where those damn things go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, we do plan on engaging with these guys in the future because I think there is tons for people to learn here and to start making these models preemptive for those for the motorist is is prudent. I think it's good. And it's another useful way to use this data. I, I, I'm not sure that any of them are doing this right now because I'm thinking that a business-minded individual wouldn't share the kind of data that these insurance organizations have shared with me if they were doing this type of work. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's why it's fascinating. But, you know, oddly enough, to bring us back into Deerland, like collision data as a driver is one of the best indicators of, oh my God, it's the rut. I saw 10 dead deer today. Like Greg and I, back when there wasn't COVID and we were both driving to work every single day, we would call each other nonstop. Did you see the, did you see the buck on, uh, on uh, Highway 16 or uh, Bypass on the east side? Did you see the one on the, on the west side? Oh, my God. You know, like that's what's going on between deer hunters uh, come, you know, a, what, not a month, two months from now. <laughs> so, like, that's a pretty good yeah. piece of data I mean, to really have inform your, your stuff, really. Yeah, I think it would be useful one of the things that I've thought about is like in a Google maps capacity or in like a waste capacity that when you're driving through like a state forest or something like that, and you're on the way somewhere, like if you're entering a zone of high collision, like if there have been documented collisions here and there are places like that where this happens, just like you get a notification to say you get, you have a cop, you know, there's a speed trap up ahead. Yeah. yeah I think also that. having yep. that to say, Hey people, you know, keep their, keep your eyeballs open. This is a place where, Yep, from October 15th to November 15th, you're very likely to see a deer uh, crossing the road. I mean, for us hunters, we're looking every every field that we pass, like, going off. We're our own worst problem, actually. <laughs> like, right. My wife's like, will you just watch the road? But there's a deer out there. Yeah, we're a hazard to our own selves yeah. and anybody riding with us. But there's a lot of people that aren't us that don't have a clue, right? They don't even... They wouldn't think twice about looking at a deer and we'd be, you know, drooling out of our mouth and they couldn't care less, but they should know, right? There's a, there's a greater population of non-hunters that might uh, leverage this data too for that perspective. But for us, like helping it figure out, helping us figure out how to hone in on it or 
like take that vacation from work and plan those vacation days, like you're, that's going to help a ton of people just by itself. Yeah, I think it'll help them in that way, but I think it'll help a lot of people too. And just like myself, we all have bias when we approach the woods, how we think deer move. And when we have a system like ours where there's millions of data points and, and they, those data points can't lie by definition, yep. it's, important for a per it's an important part of growth as a hunter and a human to reflect on you know true what we call truth data in, in artificial intelligence and say okay how do i use this to update my own systems you know and everyone can do this from the novice hunter up to the expert hunter who's been in the woods for 50 years um nobody has witnessed millions and millions of movement points remembers them all and then can account for them in an upcoming forecast yeah, no, it's it's technology at the finest, and like, and there's probably a whole other subtopic about like ethics of technology and hunting, and you know, there's cell cams, and there's this, and there's, you know, the evolution of bows has gone from stick and string, and you know, people used to make their own arrowheads and you know, arrows and fletchings to now crossbows are legal and blah blah blah, and you know, a sight on a rifle can shoot 500 yards and all this stuff, right? So I think it's just another tool to increase our odds or have a better or more ethical shot. And, um, I think it's a ton of fun, man. I mean, people used to nerd out on, like, I remember my dad would, and he's a listener, so he'll hear this in his truck like tomorrow or wherever he listens, but he would look at maps like obsessively. I mean, they'd be out on the kitchen table, maps of the Nicolay national forest. We'd get up there. We'd be looking at map, 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 maps, just maps, but it was fun to look at maps. It was like, look, let's look at the topo train. Let's, where are the funnels? Where's the food? Where's the water? Like, where do we think they're going to be going? Where are we going to traverse in? Where's the logging road? Where the fuck are we? <laughs> you know, like, it was fun to do that. This has just kind of evolved a lot of part of what we, like, have fun with. Like, e-scouting used to be looking at a map on paper. It's still, like, the same root kind of thing. Um, this is just taking it to another level. And at the end of the day, you still got to get time in the woods and have boots on the ground. You can still totally F up your shot you know, and miss. Yep. So yeah, does this stuff yeah. help you? Of course it does, but it's still only as good as the hunter to some degree. Absolutely. I mean, we're not losing the arrow for anyone. They still got to get in the stand. They still have to um, hunt the appropriate amount of days. Like this is not an end all be all. The comparison that I make for people is this is just like getting somebody in your life who's been hunting for 50 years. Like people have access to pro hunters and people on hunting staff and guys who've spent a lot of time in the deer woods, public or private, and have put a lot of deer on the ground. And what we are doing with this company is we're making that person accessible to everyone and we're doing it for a cheap cost. So you don't have to spend $2,500, $3,500 to come out and have someone shape the deer woods for you or tell you where to put your stands and what you should be, you know, what kind of crops you should have and, or doing an analysis, you know, paying someone online to do an analysis of public lands. Um, you know, as technology evolves, so should the hunter. And, and what we're doing is we're just bringing these, these best practices and this data-driven model to people because we all have vacation that we want to spend prudently, time with our family to make sure that they're not going crazy when we're out obsessively chasing deer. And the more time that we can, or the less time that we can spend scouting by, you know, all of those pouring over the maps that you and your father did, you know, when you're using our second feature, our aware feature, it's going to cut that time down drastically because we're going to only show you the places on that land where deer are going to be moving generally. Yep. And then 
we, we slow that analysis time down and then we tell you here are the best days to go in there so that you're not wasting vacation time. And I think that it becomes an ethic everyone can get behind when we make this data available and cheap and then we get more hunters involved. And the more hunters that we get involved, the more revenue is being generated and the more people are voting for more public land and public land access. Because if we're not sharing this art and if we're not getting as many people involved as possible and we're not making as many people as successful as possible, we're going to see our access to public land dwindle away. That's my biggest fear. Right. Right. That is. And we have a similar fear. Like, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say where to hunt, like we're in the app space too. You know, we are on the opposite side of the coin uh, currently. Right. And um, I think the sky's the limit for you guys, but you're focused currently on deer movement, deer behavior, deer patterning, et cetera. And uh, we've put our, we've rolled our dice on the, the hunter side, you know, how can I occupy other hunters or how can I identify occupied and unoccupied hunting land based on where other hunters are? Again, from a timing standpoint, like I, as an example, uh, as a modern day hunter, have two kids under the age of three and a day job. I do this on the side, a couple other things, like a total crazy person. And when hunting season rolls around, I've got a lot of time. So the last thing that I want to do when I get out there is bump into another hunter because that's a bad use of both of our time. And I've just ensured that they're not going to see a deer. I'm not going to see a deer. We bumped into each other. Well, how great would it have been if we would have avoided one another, right? And I think a lot of the yep. serious hunters, the expert guys out there, they put a lot of effort into, um, you know, staying away from hunting pressure and leveraging that and maximizing that as much as they can to get to where the deer are. Because, you know, deer are deer and, and you can use what you have or you can make some basic assumptions on like they're going to traverse this way or this is where the food is, et cetera. Um, but inevitably, I don't care how far you go back, you're going to find some boot tracks somewhere, Right. It always happens and it sucks when it happens when you have a stand on your back and you pick out your tree and there's a guy in the tree, you know, two trees over whistling at you, not because you're attractive. Um, it's like the, the <laughs> warning call, right? Get away from me. I'm here already. So then you got to go tranche through more forest and now you're on your plan B or C or unknown and that's hard. So, you know, it's really fun that there's someone else in this space that's trying to drive home this mission of like, Let's make our public land safe and accessible and like bring more people into the, into the space because God knows we need it. You know, if people don't get into hunting. It might not be around for our kids. It's a, uh, right. Exactly. It's, a, it's an interesting time to be doing some of this stuff. So I think what you're doing is just absolutely fantastic. I, I'm super excited for it to, you know, get released and take off. I'll be, you know, if you don't already have a first customer, like I'll gladly raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the first one if you need or, or whatever, but it sounds like you probably got people lined up outside the door already. Well, I'm glad to hear it. We'll be happy to have you. Well, with that, um, you know, I planted the seed early on before, earlier on before we hit the record button. I'd love to hear your more, your most memorable hunt. Yes, you did. You did hit that one. So this would have been uh veterans day. 2017 I believe maybe it was 2018 I can't remember now 2017 it was 2017 uh I had been hunting around it was a so it was it was a golf course that bumped up to public land and I was hunting I was hunting the public land side but I was accessing it through the golf course and the hunting on the golf course wasn't great but what it did give me is it gave me a way to get onto this other part of public land where I wasn't you know as you just talked about screwing up everybody's hunt on the way through. And I knew this was an area where there was favorable buck bedding. 
and favorable doe bedding where I'd seen a lot of doe in the past. And it was November 11th in Maryland, which is about, I believe, three days after peak conception. I think peak conception, there's the 7th or the 15th, I can't remember. I've done so many of these uh, peak conception studies that I'm starting to forget the dates in my own area. At any rate, I'll be able to use my app to look that up. <laughs> um, I was watching a scrape line that I could see. It kind of came up out of a creek in front of me. And there was a scrape right at the top of this where I'd say a lot of points came together. And then the buck, after they worked this scrape, I saw, I saw a lot of bucks working this scrape, these scrapes. Um, they would take one of the other, you know, thoroughfares out where these hubs, this hub came together where this main scrape was. And it was like a primary scrape. It was probably the size of a, of a hood of a, of a car a large scrape two or three licking branches over it and uh i'd see some bucks earlier that morning and but the does where the does bedded was right off of this and it kind of seemed like every buck in that area would come through and i had some pictures of a larger buck that had just showed up a few days earlier and he was it was a big buck and uh so how i was positioned over this primary scrape i could see the scrape line coming up to it from like three directions there were three different scrape lines that bucks would work as they came into this so it was just like a primo spot and it was so far back on the public land that it was difficult to get to unless you're willing to do like a three mile hike which a lot of people weren't doing i, I don't think i'd ever seen anyone else back there so got up in the stand that morning saw a bunch of uh, bucks coming through a couple of cool ones um I'm, there's one that i'm glad i didn't take it was probably like a 135 inch buck and he was missing one eye he'd been fighting and was missing an eye and it was like scarred over he looked really cool it would have been an awesome buck to put on the wall but i figured i'll just let him walk and sure enough probably i'd say around 9 15 a.m i saw what at the time looked like a 200 inch deer <laughs> um which he was not that large but working a scrape line coming up and it felt like from the from i could see three of the scrapes that he was working in what was realistically probably only, I don't know, 10 minutes of him working this scrape line, it felt like an hour. And when he got to the top, he had got under this primary scrape and into this oak tree and started working the biggest scrape. And that's when I drew back because I knew when he had his head in these leaves, he wouldn't be able to see me. Loose the arrow and just like clean, silent pass through, like to the point where I thought I didn't hit him. And the buck just kind of dropped his head out of the tree and didn't run he just looked around and um i couldn't believe it i thought oh man i started to get another arrow out of the quiver because i thought somehow i had missed it was only about a 22 yard shot and uh then all of a sudden i saw a big blob of blood come right out of his side right out of the boiler room and <clears throat> he started to walk just slowly so i took my phone out and you know i can send you the video afterwards i i still have it on my phone i took the phone out and measured and and just watched him walk he just kept walking and probably 15 or 20 yards later after walking, he just fell over and died right there. Um, it was like a double lunger that had just, just nicked at the top of the heart. And uh, I, I, it all happened. It was the only, it's the only buck I can remember where it looked like they had no idea what happened. He just kept walking forward. Didn't, like I said, didn't go more than 20 or 25 yards. And he was on the ground and dead in like 10 minutes. And uh, it was a good deer. It's my best public land deer. Public land deer are all trophies. That one sounded like absolutely a gangster of a deer. Like I've been yeah, hit. So he Fuck, was... I'm just gonna walk this off until I do like 
What? I'm going to walk this off, right? Exactly. What a badass. Even if it wasn't yeah, like he walking was out to gear. live, or he's like, this is my death walk. Fuck it. Like, it's almost like he lit a cigarette. You know those YouTube videos where they like say gangster ah. and then like, the cigarette and glasses go on? Like, I want to do that to your video. Well, I'll send it to you and you can feel free to do that. <laughs> Holy cow. That's crazy. That sounds a lot like my buck I shot in 2018. It hit him right in the boiler room. Again, like he's saying, top of the heart, through the lungs, hopped a few feet, turned around and looked and went, really? What was that about? And then sidestepped and fell over. It was, you make, you make that shot and it's awesome. Wow. Super sharp broadhead, pass-through shot. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. That's cool. That'll be a good one for our memorable hunts for sure. Absolutely. I'll never forget it. No, that's that's cool. I mean, everyone's got different stories, and that's one of my favorite things of doing the show. And so I don't know if you know, but we cut it up into like a, you know, we film score to make it into a mini episodic. So you'll you'll see that at some point. Um, I don't know when, but it'll be out there at some point. It's cool. It'll sound awesome. better. <laughs> that's good stuff. Well, okay, let's let's uh, you know bring the plane in for a landing. Tell people where they can find this stuff, when they can expect to use it, all of that, um, all the shameless plug stuff. Let's get people where they need to go here so they can find out more. Yeah, so our website is www.spartanforge.ai. And um, our we're, we're making a couple changes right now, a couple things that we got to do. Um, we have a few irons in the fire, and we're looking at the middle of the month. Uh, of, of course, in the military, we have a saying, no plan survives first contact. In other words, you can have the best plan for how you're going to go to war, but as soon as the bullets start flying, uh, it's not, you know, it's, everything's going to change. So, yeah, it's www.spartanforge.ai. On there in the top right, I believe, when you click on it, I can't remember. I think it's the top right. There's our Instagram and Facebook. So go on there and, uh, and uh, you know, let us know what you think. Please like and share it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be here probably around the middle of the month. I, I would say that we're going to be releasing um, our first product. And then towards the later part of the year, probably for our, um, our, our, our staff of, you know, hunters that we're bringing on right now as we speak, We'll release that wear feature and start, you know, kind of curating it and and making changes or if it, you know it's predicting incorrectly or something like that. It's probably the more tricky of the two artificial intelligences, but uh, it's it's looking promising right now. So, um, yeah, that's the, there's a win right now. We're calling that Apollo. There's a wear that we're calling Artemis. Those two things um, probably be getting renamed here sometime soon because everyone except for myself seems to be confusing the names. So, uh, <laughs> probably got a little, got, I, pro, pro, probably got a little too geeky when I came up with those names. Uh, I was just, you know, thinking Spartan Forge, Apollo being the god of, uh, the goddess of, uh, the, um, hunt and then Artemis being the goddess of God of war. I thought that sounded cool, but it seems to confuse people more than anything. So I'll probably go with the win and wear feature. And yeah, the win feature is going to be very soon here. We'll release it on the website when it comes out, when it's ready, we're just doing, you know, we're basically ready right now. We're just uh, putting on the spinning rims and uh, the chrome uh, detailing. But once that's all finished, uh, it'll be out there this month for everyone to enjoy. That's great. You know, that reminds me, I don't know if you've read the um, book by Phil Knight, um, Shoe Dog. 
It's about Phil Knight's the no. He's the former CEO of Nike, and Nike for like I don't know seven or ten years or somewhere in there was Blue Ribbon Sports. They were not Nike, and then when they were doing their, I think they were doing their IPO, their um, initial public offering, they had to come up with a different name. And so everyone pitched these ideas, 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 and, and Phil Knight, the owner, wanted to call it Dimension 8. He thought that was like the shit. He's like, no, it's Dimension 8. And then you know, the last, literally the last second on the phone with whoever they were doing the deal with, it was like, okay, we'll call it Nike, right? The god, the Greek goddess of, uh, I think it was like victory or something. Um, so that's cool. It's, it's funny that you that you understand names, but no one else does. And like Phil Knight was like, no, Dimension 8 makes a ton of sense for all these reasons. And it's, it's a terrible name. Now, I'm not saying your names are terrible, but I'm just saying it's funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, we're a bunch of nerds. We're a bunch of nerds, so I don't expect that we're going to be coming up with the most marketing-savvy stuff. Um, so we'll allow, you know, the market, as any good company should do, we're going to allow the market to drive where we go. Exactly. And uh, I think these first two things are going to be, um, you know, I think it's going to help change the game for people. That's super cool. And you know what? The market's the market's the market, right? So, you know, as long as you got the chops from a product standpoint to, to back up everything you're doing, the name doesn't matter, right? It, it will matter when it matters. Nike didn't matter until it mattered. So um, I think it's super great what you're doing. I'm really happy that you took time to be with us today on the show. And uh, you cover the topic really, really well. We're excited to share this one and uh, educate the audience that you are emerging. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate your guys' time. Thank you. Anytime. You're welcome back, too, as, as we... As you uh, release features or things start to roll, we'll, we'll be happy to bring you back on too. So, you know, thanks everybody for tuning into the live broadcast. We're going to end the live section here. And uh, as you all know, we produce the same night. So this will be live in podcast land in a couple hours. Have a good night. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller with Deervane. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Uh, this week's tip of the week is related to early season and getting aggressive. Um, Deer in general have not been pressured. They've not really been hunted by humans for the last seven, eight months, right? It's September. Um, they've been on a summer feeding pattern. They've been lounging around, right? Nothing's really going after them, especially, you know, the bigger bucks or the bigger does. There really isn't a whole lot. I mean, um, some coyotes and in some areas wolves. But aside from that, you know, it's not just, it's not a ton of pressure. So when you're, when you're going in early season, and um, you want to get a little aggressive, maybe sitting on that field edge, you're, you're not catching them in daylight hours, they always come late, and you want to get back in there and you want to get further. And so you go ahead and give it a try, and then you accidentally bump the deer, like you find out where they're bedding and they, and they blow out of there and run off. And now a lot of people think that that's the end of the road, and that spot is burned and it's done and, and, and you're off. you got to find a new area. Uh, when it comes to the early season, that's actually most of the time, not the case. Those deer have been there for six, seven months without any sort of pressure, and they've been safe in that area. So one intrusion doesn't necessarily mean that they're never coming back. You know, they may, they may come back in three days, four days, five days, six days, but it's very likely that they'll come back. They just know like, holy crap, like something came in here. I ran away. I got away safely. Everything's all good. That, that bedding area did work out. And, and they might come back now. And then for you, that means that you now know where they were betting. So, you know, okay, I can't go past this point and I can set up, you know, in these, in this tree or in this area. And it's very likely that they're going to come from this spot. And now you have a lot more advantage because you can, you can really guesstimate exactly where they are and uh, set up accordingly. 
So I hope that helps guys. You know, if you're, if you're really struggling on that field edge scenario or on like an oak tree or something like that, and you're really not getting that daylight movement that you're hoping for, try pushing back, getting aggressive. And if you bump them, it's all good. You know, you still have more opportunities. All right. Catch you guys later. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in this week. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you like what we're doing or maybe you have some feedback, look, we'd love a review and a rating on iTunes. It's just a good way for us to kind of keep our finger on the pulse of what people like to hear and make sure we're doing more of what you like and less of what you don't. A couple housekeeping things. September 30th, we're announcing our Patreon uh, giveaway winner. Uh, Winners, I'm sorry. Right now, we're giving away an HHA Tetra site, an HHA USA hat and shirt, and then also an Exodus uh, lift to trail cam with a solar panel. And we're currently working with a couple other companies right now to figure out what else we're going to add to that giveaway. We're going to do more stuff. We're going to try to make these things bigger. We're doing it every three months. So the last one we did was at the, um, what was at the end of June? So now this is the end of September, and then we'll do another one at the end of December, so forth, right then the end of March, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of get the idea. Um, don't forget, you can submit us a, a story for our most memorable hunts. You can do that uh, by visiting the link in our Instagram bio and click share your story. If you have a shot of the week you want to contribute, you can do that there too. Or you can always just send us an email or a message. Um, you can email me directly, eric at wheretohuntapp.com, or you can go to our website, our website and fill out a form post. There's all sorts of ways to get in touch with us on our social channels, our website, all of that good stuff. Uh, by the way, on the Patreon stuff, if you sign up for our Patreon, that's what allows you to be entered in for the giveaway. When you do sign up, we'll send you a uh, okayest uh, podcast sticker and a okay podcast, or sorry, an okay podcast koozie. I'm getting pretty tired here <laughs> producing this episode for a while. It's almost 11 p.m. Anyway, that's what we got for you. Welcome back, Rock Club Radio. Shot of the week is rolling. Memorable hunts are going. Tactic Talk, we got a good one for you this week with Mark Kenyon about private land parcels. Um, just all sorts of stuff happening. So again, we appreciate your support and uh, would love your feedback. I hope everybody has a great day and a great week on public. So if you didn't give us a review, go, go, go do that. Check that out. Also, in case you didn't know, we have an app also, the Where to Hunt app. Go to wheretohuntapp.com and give that a download. All right. Bye.